I don't think I ever actually regretted leaving when I did because I went on to have experiences in those next six months that I think changed the way I played for the better, which I don't think would have happened if I stayed. I would have stayed playing the exact same way I did. But because I had um, a little bit of time in Spain, a little bit of time in England in those six months, and I experienced just the difference in culture, the difference in the way teams train, the difference in the way the players play, the intensity and everything, that really opened my eyes to something I, I had never really experienced before. Welcome to this week's episode of Across the Line. Today, we are joined by Kenshiro Daniels, who has been a staple in the world of Philippine football for the last eight years. But Chris, he's only 25 years of age. He's 25, going on about 50, that guy. And, and what the what amount of work that he's packed into such a short period of time. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And for someone who I, I consider myself to know Kenny pretty well, there were so many stories that I had no clue about in, mm. in this interview. So, uh, yeah, ranging from leaving high school and, and traveling across the other side of the globe to uh, you know, trials in, in different countries, uh, successful ones, unsuccessful uh, games. and tribulations that you went through it's incredible I'm, I'm quite taken aback with all of the new information that I acquired in this in this uh, in this interview but tremendous to sit down and have a chat with Kenny he's great value and um, I'm sure the listeners will love it he's a soft-spoken guy you wouldn't attach like courageous or brave immediately to his name because of the way he plays the game but unbelievable the stories that he told us and the, the um, the many things that he has to overcome to be where he is today. And uh, it was a fantastic conversation, a great way to catch up with everything that's transpired in his career. And we hope you enjoy this conversation. If you do, please do subscribe to our YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts, and find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And that is it. Without further ado, we've got Kenshiro Daniels on this Football Friday. California born and raised from Newport Beach to a Filipino mom and an English martial arts film star. We've got the eight year professional here in the Philippines. He's only 25 years of age as well. It's pretty crazy. Kenshiro Daniels joins us from BGC today. How are you, Kenny? I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Kenny, of course, is no stranger to you, Chris. Uh, you've worked alongside him you've played alongside him and you've coached him as well finally we've got a chance to sit down with him here on the podcast yep uh i remember kenny from my one of my very first training sessions this uh, stick thin uh little boy i looked a little bit lost um back in 2013 i think it was um training in the, the mean streets of avia and it was, uh, yeah, normally, normally like bright and early, like the, the 6 a.m. training sessions that Coach Moore would, would put on or uh, the, the, the bumpy training sessions at UMAC. You know, they, they were my first experiences with, with Kenny. I'm sure he remembers them uh, very fondly. But um, what, what I do remember was, although he was someone who you know, physically hadn't matured yet, he, he had a bit of ability, you could see, and you could see that he was hungry and, and he had a strong desire to, to want to come out and make a professional career for himself. So. Uh, yeah, lo and behold, it, it's eight years down the line. He's filled out a little bit. He's, he's, he's done a couple of reps in the gym. 
and uh, yeah, he's, he's managed to carve out a, a really good career thus far. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping we can explore a little bit about the, the backstory to everything and also his plans for the future, Jing. That's right. Yeah. So we've got an opportunity here, an hour or so with uh, Kenny. And you're coming fresh from a season as well where you've, you've um, raised some eyebrows. You know, a lot of people have been turned on to the attacking side of Kenshiro Daniels. How does it feel to be uh, on the back end of 2020 now after everything that's transpired? 2020 was a, it was a weird ride. We had a couple pre-seasons. Uh, the coronavirus, you know, obviously halted everything. But we were all just incredibly happy that the uh, PFF and everybody got together and was able to put the season together and allowed us to play. Um, I was uh, happy personally with my performance, maybe not so much with our placement, but it was just uh, an enjoyable experience to be able to get the season over with. And I would describe it as the longest short season ever. <laughs> That's just how it felt towards the end. But we were just happy to be able to play and uh, a little, ha little happy the bumpiness is over of this year. Right. Scored a couple goals this year. And in one of our previous episodes, Scott Cooper was – uh, talking about you, uh, quite impressed with your um, contributions for Kaya throughout the season. Um, how does it feel to be in a position that is unfamiliar but familiar in, in, in the same way for you because it's a position that you've played in the past? But um, yeah, uh, something that perhaps Filipino fans have not had an opportunity to see you in. I was incredibly happy to be playing, uh, playing up front. Do I see myself as a Typical number nine, maybe not so much, but growing up, I played in that position my entire life, never played any other position. So going back to it, after a session or two, I felt, I felt comfortable, comfortable again. I felt back in my nature, and uh, I was just glad to be able to help the team out. And everybody knows, everybody close to me knows, I would always prefer to play in an attacking position. Um, throughout my career, has that happened consistently? Not so much. I've played all around the pitch, as Chris would know, but I just, you know, took that in my stride, used it to learn different positions, and it's kind of molded me into a more complete player. Because growing up, if you told me I would play right back in international stage, I probably would have laughed and not believed you. And lo and behold, lo and behold, I was playing right back on the national team, and I, that's basically where I cemented my position for a little while there. Uh, yeah, none of my friends believed me the first time I told them. I said, yeah, uh, the national team coach is playing me right back. And they, they literally did not believe me till I showed them a video. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you have a conversation with, with Thomas Dooley about that? Because it's something that's initially caused a bit of contention like with the group. Because well, we knew anyway that you weren't particularly... Uh, not unhappy with the decision, but obviously surprised with, with making that um, decision from the coaching staff. Like, did the coach really sit down and have a chat with you and explain to you his rationale behind that decision? The first time he played me right back was in a friendly we had against Global. And uh, I came off the bench and I was coming on alongside uh, Kurt Dizon and he just goes to us, all right, Kenny, you're going to play right back. Kurt, you're going to play left back. And we kind of just looked at each other like, 
did we did we hear that right? <laughs> so no, no prior warning that game. He just just threw us in. And afterwards, he had to sit down with us and and then explained his reasoning and everything. But yeah, that that first friendly, no, we, we were just as surprised as anyone <laughs> when he said, "Okay, you're going to play right back. You're going to play left back." Did you did you feel a little bit of a victim of your own versatility in that sense? Because obviously, you then went on to play in that position for for quite a while. I mean, even with me, I, I played you in that position on, on, a, on, a, on a few occasions just as a kind of makeshift fullback because I knew that technically you were competent. You saw the game very well. Um, and in some of the fields that we played on, you know, we, we, we needed a little more robustness, um, shall we say, in, in, in some of the uh, facilities that we were playing out of. So, I mean, as you said there, you saw it as a bit of a learning curve for you, but, but do you sometimes sort of think of it as you're a victim of your own versatility? Actually, yeah, that did cross my mind throughout the years. Uh, I'm always going to give 100%, no matter where any coach puts me on the field. I'm going to give my best and play as well as I possibly can. I'm never going to be, oh, I'm playing right back. I don't want to, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give it my all and have them move me back into an attacking position. No, if you put me right back, you put me left back. I'm going to, I'm going to give it everything and I'm just going to play as well as I can. I do. Did that kind of make me a victim as in I kind of got stuck playing there? Uh, maybe. Because I know over the years I didn't enjoy it as much and maybe I would have progressed in a different way if I wasn't playing there. I, I, I don't know. Um, but at the same time, it's the position that got me into the national team for four years. And it's the position that got me all of my caps, most of my caps. So I can't complain. And like I said, it did make me more well-rounded. Um, my dad said he'd never seen me make a tackle in my life until I turned about 20. And then all of a sudden I'm playing right back. So I had to learn how to play a bit more defensive. And I'm not going to complain about that. It did. It helped my the defensive side of my game, and it actually helped me understand how a back four works a bit more with the stepping and the covering. And and I, I credit a lot of my learning in right back to Rob Gear because he was playing center back next to me, and he was in my ear all the time. And I don't think if any other center back was next to me, I wouldn't have learned as well as I did. Do you feel as if any those years playing at right back aided you for this season specifically? I mean, obviously, you, you, you found a score sheet a couple of times in this shortened season. And you always look like a threat going forward. Did that help you at all? It helped me learn what I think defenders don't like. Um, I know if an attacking player is quick, he can dribble. I know I don't like him running straight at me and basically choosing a side quickly, then I would have to react as quick as I can. I, I know defenders don't like that. I know defenders don't like balls going in over their head and having somebody on their back because basically you just have to clear it or play it back to the goalkeeper. So it just helped me learn some things that defenders don't like, which I kind of added to my game just to try and throw them off a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty much most of it, I would think. So this year, I think it's been clear for everyone to see that there's been a huge change in your physique. I mean, for the longest time, we knew Kenny as what Chris described you as, which was 
you were straw thin and you were lanky and you were quick and you had incredible technique. But now you've, you've grown into this uh, more muscular individual. Um, is that something that you've been working on specifically for this season? Is that something that has been um, a criticism of you in the past? Yeah, I've always, uh, I've always been called skinny. I always knew I was skinny or, uh, my friend Miji and I always like to laugh about it. Bob Guerrero once called me willowy. Willowy. So that's, that's always been there. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't for this season. It was actually when I went home in 2018, I, um, I really, I've always been in and out of the gym. Once our seasons would start, I would slow down in the gym a little bit. Off season, I would go to the gym a lot. Uh, but it was mostly 2018. I got into a really consistent schedule with going to the gym. And there, I, I got to bulk up because I know I've never been physical enough. And I know I was getting pushed off the ball really easily or way easier than I should have. And yeah, I got into a really consistent gym schedule. And by the time I came back to the Philippines in 2019, I had filled out quite a bit. So last year I was actually, I think, even bigger than I was this season. Because this season I wasn't allowed to go to the gym for seven months because of COVID. So I definitely shrunk down because the, the home workouts, they don't quite cut it like the gym does. But no, I, I fell in love with the gym in 2018 and I just naturally just started getting bigger and I, I I helped that add to my game especially when I came back there was a situation I think it was in a Mendiola game where I was chasing down a ball and the defender was with me and I shoulder to shoulder I out muscled him got the ball retained possession and and, and we kept the ball and I remember uh Freddie Ose after the game just coming up to me like laughing he's like I can't believe you did that I've never seen you do that in your life he he enjoyed it more than anyone. <laughs> for those unfamiliar, Freddie Ose, uh, midfield enforcer for Kaya FC Luilo um, from Ghana. He's well known around the league in the Philippines as a forceful fellow. So he can, um, he can appreciate a good tackle and obviously appreciated that one from you. So obviously already um, factoring into your game, uh, making you more robust up front as well. But... Uh, I, think, I suppose we'd like to go back a little bit to revisit your past and, and sort of find out your journey coming here to the Philippines. You've spent your last eight years here, which is like a third of your life already. Um, but your background is quite interesting. Um, as mentioned at the top, you, you've got a Filipino mom. Your, your dad's English and not, not your typical Englishman. He's a martial arts film star. Um, and uh, you grew up in the United States. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your roots in, um, I don't know, um, over there in Newport, uh, your, your childhood growing up, and, and how you fell in love with the game of football. Yeah, uh, like you said, my dad's English. So the second I was born, I was, I was already playing football. He's, my dad always told me I started kicking a ball as soon as I could walk. So I was basically born straight into football, born straight into a Man United shirt. There you go. I think some of my go. earliest pictures are just all Man United stuff. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Orange County, and uh, I, I started, I think it's called um, AYSO, which is for, like, little kids. It's really recreational. It's for any kid that's starting to get into uh, soccer over there. And 
from there I moved on to a big thing in California is a uh, Mexican league. That's what we would call it. You know, it was all Mexicans and the level was definitely a little bit higher than the little recreational. So I, I went on to there around ages five to seven. Like that's where kids who are playing, they actually know what they're doing. And from there on, I moved into my first club team in Irvine. We were called Irvine Lasers. And that's where I think my development really started. Uh, we started out, I think I was six or seven years old in their Academy of Excellence. And that's where you just start learning the basic skills. You know, we're le learning moves like the scissors, step over the croy, things like that. It wasn't really just to play games. It was just learning all the basics with the balls. And I, I credit my coaches there a lot. I'm still friends to this day with, um, he was the owner of the club at the time, also my coach, and now he runs massive clubs in Southern California. But we, uh, yeah, that's where I started out. And from there on, I just kept moving up through the club system and played with a team from Santa Anita in California. And we ended up being really good. I think at one point we were like the second best team in our age group in the country. We showed up to Dallas Cup. And there was only one other team that was ranked higher than us. And we ended up doing better than them. So yeah, my, my club teams growing up were really, really good. And I definitely developed that way. And then I had a bit of an interesting uh, turn that not a lot of other people have. At the age of 15, I had an uncle living in New Zealand and he was coaching a semi-professional team. And he told my dad, how about you just uh, send Kinshiro over for a few months, have him play here? Because my older brother actually did the same thing when he was around 16, I think. And I went over there and ended up playing for this semi-professional team's under-19s team and reserves team while I was 15. Wow. So I missed a whole semester of high school for that, which I had to make up for when I got back. It was not easy. But uh, yeah. I went over there and played with grown men for the first time ever. I remember I scored on my, my debut for the reserves, which was awesome. And after that, I came back and played a lot of high school. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, let, 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 me, let me butt in here. So let, let, let's yeah, go right. back to this. I, I, I want to I wanna unpack this a little bit. You're sort of glazing over this. Like, yeah, and then I just packed up my bags and moved to New Zealand. You're not going to skip back into high school. So... <laughs> I want to know how this conversation goes with your dad, because I know your dad is, he's, he's a football nut, isn't he? He loves his football. Yeah. So is this an idea that he's, he's put forth to you and you've been like, yeah, I really, I really fancy it. Or is it a case of your brother did it? So you, you wanted to get involved. Like how, how did that conversation go down between you and your dad? He brought it up to me once uh, my uncle Mick brought it up to him. And as soon as he said, do you want to go to New Zealand and go play football? Yes, let's go. I'll go next week or whatever. I, I, I wanted to do it. I had known my older brother did it, but I didn't know any details about it. I was a bit too young. My brother is nine years older than me. So when he went, I didn't really know what was going on. But as soon as it was brought up to me, I went, I'm in. I want to do it. So let's go. Yeah, I was, I was really into the idea. And, you, and what was it? You were just staying with your uncle and then going and training, what, a couple of times a week with these teams? How did it work? 
Yeah, so I flew over there. I stayed with my uncle and how did it work? So I would train with the reserves and I would also train with the first team because he was, he was the manager, he was the coach. So I would train with the first team and they, the first team, the first team loved me. They couldn't believe a 15 year old was coming over there. And I ended up playing really well while I was there, really, really well. And half the first team loved me. Um, so yeah, I would train with them a few days a week. And then I ended up, they were thinking of maybe I, because I told you I missed a semester of school. They were thinking of maybe enrolling me into a school there who was known for their football. And so I actually left my uncle's house for a few weeks and stayed with somebody hosting me who was also hosting a player that went to that school. And for a few weeks, I stayed at this woman's house and would go to training with that school. They wouldn't train after school. They would train before school. So I would be waking up 4 or 5 a.m. We'd be getting on the bus and we'd be training really, really early. But I wasn't enrolled in the school yet, so I would train with them. We'd finish around 7 a.m. and then I would, I would uh, hop on some buses and walk and find my way back into like the center of Auckland where my, where my uncle's gym was. I would hang out with him all day at their gym. Didn't work out yet, not my thing yet. And then I would go to training with them in the evening, and it would start all over. I'd go back to the house, sleep there, and start my day at 5 a.m. the next day to go to training. Okay, I have so many questions with this. So how, how did this work with school? How, how was this even like legal? I'm pretty sure you can't just up sticks and leave and not go to school for six months. So how did that work? And secondly, what does mum think in all this? I'm sure that the protective mother is, is probably thinking, what is my little boy doing on the other side of the world? It's actually the opposite. My mom is the first person to throw me into any situation. She, she fully supports my football. She's supported it since day one. So as soon as any opportunity arises, she's the first one to say, go do it. Um, so there's that. She's fully supportive. The school situation was a bit nuts. I mean, technically, you can drop out of high school. There are like high school dropouts, right? So I just, yeah, I got up and left the second semester of my sophomore year. Uh, and then when I came back, I came back three, three and a half months later. And it was too late to hop back in because there's only maybe a month or two left of school. It was my senior year where I had to fully make up for it. My, Looking back on it now, my senior year was absolutely insane. At the time, it didn't feel that way. But so my, my senior year, my first semester was as normal, but I did have to make up the credits I missed for my sophomore year. So my schedule got really hectic the second semester. So I was on the football team for one. So that's training after school. So I started out, I had a zero period. So I had to show up an hour early for school to have a class. Then I had my normal six periods. Sixth period would be uh, football. And then I would have training after school with the football team. So I'm already at my school from, it was 6.30 in the morning to about 4.30, five o'clock in the afternoon. And then I had to sign up for like four different classes of night school. Um, that, so normally people do night school. It's two nights a week. I think two, a two hour class, something like that. No, I had to do four nights a week. So I was doing Monday through Thursday of night school after football training. So I would basically go home, grab a snack, 
head to night school and I'd be at night school from like 6.30 to 8.30 at night. So I'd basically be in school from 6.30 in the morning to 8.30 at night every single day for almost all of second semester. And this is while the football season's going on. So it worked out perfectly where the games didn't mess up the night school. It, it was incredible. At, at one point, my, my, uh, my high school coach, he asked me, he said, do you, like, I know what you're going through right now. Would you think about, like, staying an extra year? Because I skipped a grade in school, so he knew I was a year younger than everyone. He's like, would you, like, consider just staying and playing another year and that would make it easier for you to graduate? You wouldn't have to go through so much school. And I went, no way, I'm not graduating with this class. I'm going to do all the work I possibly can. I'm going to graduate. So I did it. I did, what was it, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. of school with football, and somehow I managed to graduate on time. It was it was wild. Looking back at it, it was wild. It sounds pretty wild. And, and then obviously, it sounds like you went through the mill later on in your. <laughs> you paid you paid the price for that New Zealand trip later on, but yeah. What what would you say? What what were some of the things that you learned from that particular trip? Because obviously, you're only there for a finite period of time. But what were some of the things that you felt that you learned that potentially would help you later on in your career at, at such a young age, having having made that journey? Um, to New Zealand uh, yeah, relatively early in your football career? The one thing I learned was it was my first time really experiencing men's football and the physicality of it. So I showed up and the first weekend I was there, we went to go watch one of the first team games. And that's the first time I think I've ever experienced like a men's team game in person where I'm, I'm, I wasn't involved playing, but I was there with the coach and, and, and along with the players. And I was watching and the first game I watched, there were some big tackles. It was a very physical game. They're very physical down there. And someone had his leg broken. <laughs> it was a leg break in the game. Wow. I showed up and I'm just like, wow, uh, what, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> I just, I was shocked by the physicality of the way they played. So that, uh, the one thing I did learn was if I am going to play, the men's football level, I'm going to have to be a little bit more physical than I was, which, as you know, didn't really come along. But, but that is the one thing I noticed about the men's game. And that's what sticks out in my head from that trip to this day was that first game and just seeing how big some of the tackles were and how aggressive everyone was. And, and then obviously our team having a player with his, get his leg broken. <laughs> it was just it was a shock. It was a shock to my 15 year old mind like this was this was how some of the games are played i would have packed up and left <laughs> I would have gone home, man. you were 15 that's unbelievable uh, obviously just two years later you'd find your way into the philippines um uh, there's still so much that i want to ask actually about your trip there like you said you had so much downtime before we jump into the philippine side of things like what are you doing in the gym if you're not working out like, how do you spend your time? You're just watching people work out? What do you do? Well, what, in 2018 before I came back here? No, no, no. no, no. In 2000, uh, when you were 15 years oh, old. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, sorry, spent, yeah. You spent your afternoons at your uncle's gym, but you didn't actually work out. So you were just spending your days chilling, watching people do their thing, or what were you doing? I wasn't doing a lot. <laughs> um, at the time, there was a few boys that my uncle knew from Northern California, and they were part of the team. They were all playing on the first team. 
and I would they would come to the gym. I don't know if they were work like working there, but they were always at the gym with me. So I would hang out with them. Uh, I would hang out with my uncle because he owned the gym, so he wasn't working out either. So he just like be doing his business throughout the day. Uh, we'd go to a local cafe all the time, go get food. I would hang out with them until we had to leave for training in the afternoon. So I know like downstairs he had an office, he had a TV. So I would just be like hanging out there or sometimes he would just ask me to move some weights around, you know, clean up the gym. Just just little things just to keep me busy. But I really wasn't looking back. I wasn't doing a lot while while I wasn't playing football. Yeah. I think that was another. Oh, and also he has two sons that were, one was around my age and one was a little bit younger. And I would hang out with them when, once they got out of school because they would come to the gym and hang out as well. What a time, huh? Three months of just hanging out in football. That, yeah, that's all I did. <laughs> in New Zealand. Sure, you paid the price afterwards, but worth it, right? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. So how did the things come about with you and the Philippines? Um, was it your mom? Was it a connection through her? Or tell us a little bit about how you found your way here. Yeah, so um, part of that senior year, actually, I had a trip with a team from Chicago. I got hooked up with a team from Chicago to go to England for this two-week trip uh, where I was playing football there. And it was basically a scouting trip. And the people who set me up with it were close with the scouts and everything. So they actually had scouts from a number of different teams come and watch the games just to watch me. They were specifically there to watch me. And I played really well. And I actually got scouted by... Uh, an academy coach from Darby, Darby County. And they wanted me to come there. He asked me, he said, all right, after your school in the summer, can you come to England and and uh, come play with us? And obviously, I was 17. I'm like, yeah, awesome. Let's do it. Like, amazing. So once I went back home, um, we were just waiting, waiting, waiting on, on word of that happening while I was finishing school. And then that, that ended up falling through. And that was my plan after graduating. So I didn't really know what I was going to do. And then at the time, my cousin was dating a player here, uh, Darren Hartman. And they came over to the States and we ended up just kicking a ball around one time. And he said, look, if you have nothing else to do, how about you just come to the Philippines and come give it a try? Uh, And I was like, I, I thought about it. I didn't really know what that meant. He said there was a growing league he said things were looking up and everything. I, I didn't, I wasn't a hundred percent convinced. And I got to the point where I graduated. I had the summer with my friends and I kind of just didn't know what I was going to do. And my mom basically, she came up to me, said, I bought you a ticket. You're going to the Philippines next week. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, sure. Let's do it. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, my mom, first person to throw me in the deep end if she wants me to go for an opportunity which I love her for that but yeah she did she bought me a ticket without telling me and that's how I ended up coming over here wow Darren shout out to Darren Hartman for uh pulling you yeah. out over here so th- the goal was really just the football right I mean obviously when you're in your senior year everybody's worried about where are you gonna go to college where are you gonna go you know all of that um but you your head was already I want to play professionally the entire time. Yeah. School. 
never really crossed my mind. It was my goal from a little kid to be a professional football player. Uh, I, I did not have a single thought of college throughout my four years of high school. It didn't even cross my mind. Never took my SATs. Didn't, didn't do anything ever to get in contact with any colleges. I always knew football was what I wanted to do. That is amazing. Uh, Chris, as a parent yourself, what if your kid decided that, listen, um, dad, I'm not even going to take my SATs or I'm not even going to worry about college. I'm going to go straight pro. What would you have said? Well, I don't advise it. Uh, Kenny's not the smartest though, so maybe it's best to put all of his eggs in his football basket. So I'm hoping my kids have a little more, uh, uh, yeah, a little bit more academically inclined than, than, than Kenny. But I think, listen, everyone's circumstances are different. So, I, I, and I think, you know, there, there's always that, uh, there's always the story of, you know, like you, you have to come from nothing uh, and, and put all your eggs in that football basket because, you know, you need to be 100% dedicated and look at these guys that come from the favelas and they emerge as these footballers because that's all they have. That's the only thing that they're focused on, which is true. But what about the tens of thousands of the hundreds of thousands of other guys who get their dreams shattered? You know, they, they don't make the grade and then they have nothing to fall back on. So I'm never, I'm never an advocate of that. Um, I don't know what Kenny's take on it. Maybe, maybe with his kids, what, what, many years down the road, he might be look. Oh, I, was, I was so stupid. I definitely shouldn't have done it that way. Um, so I'm not a huge advocate of, of that mentality, but if the circumstances dictate that you're able to have that, um, ability to just focus on that um then i think it's it's, it's a great thing i mean the, the question i'll ask with that as a, as a caveat is i know your um your siblings have been extremely successful in the pursuits that they've had did any of those go down the collegiate route or were they all focused on their own individual pursuits and and, and do you attribute that being the reasons why they were so successful i don't think yeah, I don't think my older brother went to college. I know my younger brother didn't go to college, and I know my youngest brother has maybe a semester of community college. Yeah, none of us have really gone down the collegiate route. But like you said, my older brother has been successful in his field with the yeah. stunt doubling, with the parkour, all of that. Uh, my younger brother now, same thing. He he wants to be a stunt double. He's done he's done quite a few commercials. Now he does some modeling. It's just my youngest brother. He's still figuring out what he wants to do, but he's the one who's actually gone to school. And I know he's gone to school the last year for like physiotherapy and stuff like that. So he's done that route. But yeah, I don't know. My parents never really forced us to have that need to go to college. They've, they've always been supportive of what we want to do and they were never going to force us to do anything we didn't want to do. And it just turned out none of us wanted to keep going with school. <laughs> uh, like you said, with your, if I have kids, will I, will I push them towards that? I'm, I'm, I'll probably be the same as my parents. I'm not going to force them to do anything they don't want to do, but I will definitely help them with the thought of college. Cause when I was in high school, my parents never even really talked to me about it. One, because I, I never brought it up and I, I'm not blaming them or anything, but I'll, I'll probably help them with the process of like, I didn't even understand what the SATs were. I remember having a friend going, oh, I'm taking the SATs this weekend. I went, you are? And they're like, yeah. I said, wait, not everyone takes that. I didn't know you had to like separately apply and pay to take the SATs. I didn't even know that was a thing. So mm -hmm. I know at least I'll, I'll give my kids 
a little more knowledge of how the process actually works because that was one thing with me was I didn't even, I didn't even comprehend how applying for colleges worked or, or just anything yeah. down that route. It just, it wasn't even in my realm of knowledge. I had no idea. So I think, I think also with that, Ken, like I'm, I'm thinking like it's quite, in the Filipino culture, it's, it's obviously very academic or oriented. Everything is geared up towards school. And in the UK, I think, you know, I'm, looking at myself and a bunch of my friends you know though it was important that you, you got your academic uh, grounding it certainly wasn't a given that we were going to go to university in fact like like similar to you it wasn't that there wasn't anything that it was necessarily pushed I mean you know no, no one in my family went to university that I'm, that I'm aware of so it wasn't something that was that was emphasized and I don't think I think one of the things that's quite important here that, that Kenny mentioned is the fact that you know you, you do have to pursue what you're passionate about you know, there's, there's plenty of people out there who have got degrees and they're in jobs they, they absolutely hate. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not happy with their lives. So, you know, I think sometimes you, you've got to take it from that other side of the coin, which is, you know, Kenny's now been doing his profession for eight years. I mean, if you include the, the New Zealand stint, even longer. Um, and, and he's found his passion at an early age and, 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 and he's going through that that on the job training that most people don't get until they're a postgraduate. So from that respect, I think in answer to your, to your question, Jing, I think, yeah, everyone's situation is different. And um, I think it's fortunate, obviously, that Kenny's been in a situation whereby he's, he's, he's had parents that has been supportive of his journey. Because I think one of the issues that I've experienced here is, is obviously that fallback is, is emphasized too much. And I think people are sometimes put off from pursuing their dreams because mum and dad don't see it as a viable career option. Um, which sort of brings me a little bit to that first, because I think it's a, it's a nice segue, Kenny, to your first, the first time I met you, and probably one of your first contracts, if not your first contract here. Because uh, I know you were sort of doing the trials, weren't you? And, and, and we were sort of thinking about um, whether or not you were going to sign with Kai. I mean, you've been with us for probably four, four or so weeks, haven't you, that, that first stint? I think under under Coach Moore when I when I first came across you, how how did you find those those early days when you were sort of on on the cusp of signing, embarking on on that journey, but not really sure how it was all going to transpire? Can you remember those days? Yeah, I'm still not a biggest biggest fan of uh, how they went about it. <laughs> so at at the time, I was playing with Laos when I first got here. I played with them for a UFL Cup, and afterwards. I'm pretty sure Global were willing to sign me. They, they were, they were going to offer me a contract. But at the time, it was 90% national team players or whatever it was. And I talked to my parents about it. I said, look, it would be cool if I, I signed with them. It's a good team, but I don't think I'm going to play a lot. So then I found out about that Kaya open tryout. And I kind of just ditched the global thing. I'm just, I'm going to go for this tryout. I would rather play for Kaya. I, I just think I have a better chance of fitting in with that team and, and playing a little bit more than I would with global. So yeah, I went to that open trout and I played really well, but then they took me on, you know, a little ride along where I trialed and I trained with the team and it was getting closer and closer and closer to the deadline and I had zero word on whether they actually wanted to sign me or anything. And, but it was the team I wanted to play for. So I just kept going and going and going and kept playing until 
I think it's right before the deadline. They're like, okay, come to the office and uh, we'll give you your contract. I think it was literally like deadline day or <laughs> day before deadline day. So if I didn't sign, I didn't really have any other choice. <laughs> but you know, it was an interesting few weeks. And, but the tryout was, was fun. And then especially once I started to get to play with the team, you know, and Avia, I remember scoring a couple of goals in a couple of our friendlies there. And I just, I was just comfortable with the, with the team already way more comfortable than I was whenever I was training with global. So I was, I was happy once they offered me a contract, I was just, I was really happy to be a part of this team instead. Yeah. I, and that, that was obviously my, my first couple of weeks there also. Um, we had a really good group, didn't we? I think we had a real mixed bag of characters, sort of mm-hmm. uh, a mixture of older heads, well-established players on the domestic scene, and then obviously people like yourself, young, young faces, uh, young upstarts, you know, trying to forge their um, career here in the Philippines. What, what, what do you remember from those early UFL days? When we, I think we were obviously just starting out at McKinley then. What, what do you remember from the early stages of, uh, of the UFL? I remember, like you said, we were at McKinley and McKinley was still brand new. I don't even think we had all the, especially when we first started training there, it was literally just the pitch with construction all around it. I remember showing up 6 a.m. It was still dark. I don't even think there were lights yet. And we just trained on a pitch with construction around it, which was fun. And then once the game started going, there were some bleachers and I just remember fans coming to the game and I've never really other than maybe my high school games never really had fans coming to the game and supporting and everything and I was like wow this is this is an awesome experience and I remember just getting my my few chances to play which was fun I remember at the time I mean I definitely didn't have the most confidence in the world so I I know a couple of my first few appearances I didn't play as well as I could have but Altogether, I think that's just another learning experience, learning how to get over that hump of, you know, not playing well and you just got to push through those bad days and, and learn to get your confidence back. Because I would call it my first real encounter in men's football. Yeah, the New Zealand thing I did, and I played a few games with the reserves, but this was like, okay, this is now my job. This is, this is what I need to be doing. And, and that level of... Uh, physicality especially on that small McKinley pitch was all new to me and I I needed to learn how to cope with that and and just get comfortable playing there but overall those first few days like first few games and everything that that was an amazing experience for me just being able to play men's football with fans in a club that that cares and like this is everyone's job and this is it I was like this is it this is the first step for me this is that's what it felt like like this is the step I needed to take and Let's see where this goes from here. At what point did you feel as if you were established here? Like you felt comfortable already? And what did it take for you to, to, to reach that state? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure, actually. I, I've never had that mentality where I've, I thought, oh, I'm established here. I feel really comfortable. I've always just been like, I want to keep improving. I need to keep proving that I, I, I deserve this spot in the team because there were, there were times where you could have called me established in the team. And then I got a national team call up and Chris said this to me one time, I got a national team call up for the first time 
and I went to uh, went for, on the first trip, the Malaysia trip, and I get back, and the next game, I got dropped from the starting level. I didn't even play that game. And Chris goes, I think you're the first player ever to get called up to a national team and then get dropped the next game. <laughs> I remember that. So, I mean, you could have called me established, but I wasn't then. And then once we had a coach, uh, Adam Riki, I was part of the national team every camp. I had been playing for Kaya nearly every game. And then we get a new coach that comes along and I didn't play much under him. Uh, I was always fighting for my spot. I was coming off the bench a lot. I, I, I didn't start many games under him. And I, I just always felt I needed to prove that I, I deserved a spot in the starting team. And, and I did, especially throughout those years. So I never fully, 100% felt fully established. I always felt like I had to fight for a spot. Um, I think when Chris took over, I definitely played a lot, but it was never like, oh, I know I'm going to play. I, I always, in training, I always gave it 100% because I, I, I still felt like I was fighting for a spot, especially because I was playing right back and I wanted to play somewhere else. So I would always, I would always just be trying to impress doing other things along with the right back stuff just to try and, you know, sway where I'm going to play a little bit or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I remember, I remember, I think the first, your first full season, I remember you sort of being quite easily knocked off the ball. And I think the, the close proximity of all of the action on that McKinney Hill venue didn't really suit you. Um, I remember like... You know, a lot of your movements will be movements in off the line, trying to operate in the half spaces. So you can try to find little pockets of space between your position, midfield and defensive lines. And, and you were very good at that. So you were very good at receiving the ball in those tight spaces because often a lot of wingers on that, on that field would have to be t pressed, pressed tight up against the fullback and then would have to manipulate the ball in quite tight spaces. So it would suit like a different type of, of winger. Um, you know, I look at some of the teams that we played against, like Pasigad would always have these big, ugly monsters playing on, on, <laughs> on, on their front threes. And, but they were effective. You know, they, they weren't technically that great, but they were effective on that pitch, you know. And I think yeah. that, that physicality element suited certain teams. I mean, you, you look at the Stallions team, I mean, they, I think they played it to a T. You know, they had big, strong guys at the back, very narrow, made it very difficult. Any crosses that came into the box, they could deal with it because they're big monsters. And then in Rufer up, up top, they had someone who who could run, he could hold the ball up, he was strong, he could finish. They, they, they had the, the perfect formula on, on that pitch. I think we played probably the best football. I mean, they played some, some really good football. I think given a bit of time to get the type of players that he wanted at the club, he, he would have been successful. But, but obviously that, that was a process that, the, you know, unfortunately he wasn't able to, to kind of see through. But that second season, I think you made, well, I might get the timing wrong here, so it might have been not the second season. It might have been the cup portion because it was that was at the time it was split into into two pieces. I remember yeah. Kenny came back with a different mentality, and I remember saying to certain individuals. I remember saying to one player in particular, I said, "You need to look out because that boy is coming for you." And I remember saying, "I remember saying to it to this to this player because I could see he was working diligently. He, he was he had a different attitude, a different mindset, and I could tell." that he'd come from being a peripheral figure that first first season, should we call it the first season, it, it, coming it back. Was, I think it was, it was the cup, it was right? A, it was the cups. 
No, I know, I, know, I know what you're talking about. It was after my first trip home, and it was when I came back for this the second season. It was. I second know, I know season. exactly what you're talking about, yeah. What changed? So that would have been Dave's, for, Dave's first full season, correct? Sorry, sorry, Gene. That was Dave's first full season, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Sorry, Gene. Yeah, Dave Perkovich, uh, for those who are unfamiliar, also a previous guest uh, on the podcast. Um, what, what changed for you? What, what do you think it was? When you came back, was it um, uh, just a little bit of a perspective coming home, seeing how you've been performing and thinking that you needed to come back a little bit stronger? Or what was it? Uh, it was a couple things. I did have a rough first season. I, I knew that. And I got injured for a lengthy amount of time. I was out for over two months. Uh, with an ankle injury. So when I came back, I played with the under-19s for a little while uh, to get fitness back up. And then I got, I think, a game or two at the end of the season with the first team again. And I knew once I went home, I said, okay, look, this can't happen again. I need to be playing more consistently. I told myself that. So it was just that mindset of knowing I didn't have the best first season and I needed to improve for the second season in, in lots of areas. And then now I sound like a broken record, but that's the first summer my dad ever took me to the gym. <laughs> and that changed. I'm not saying I came back bulky or anything, but I came back with a different bit of confidence. And I, I thought I was stronger and everything. You know, I just it was in my mind that I was stronger. I was coming back stronger. I was coming back more fit. And I had that, that mindset of I need to improve on last season and I need to get myself into this team more often. So all of those combined uh, basically got me into training for the beginning of that second season. And I think that's where I just started finally kicking it up a notch. Just, just, I think it was more mental than anything. I just, I had a bit more confidence about me and I came into training knowing I'm better than I, I'm better than what I've shown and I just need to show it now. Those are some special times in the UFL. Um, I think the, the stands were just completed around that time. So for us commentators, it was enough of, you know, prancing around and trying to tiptoe our way into the edge of that grandstand, which was not safe whatsoever. But <laughs> once it, it you know, that some of the atmospheres, so some of the games that we had there, especially Kaya, Kaya had some great fans that would come around and really make an atmosphere. What, what the, were the particular matches that stood out to you during this time? Because I look back at it and it seems like a special time that we didn't know was special at that point in time because we felt we were on this rocket ship to the moon and we're like, we're only halfway there. You know, we're not even anywhere near where we're going to be. But we didn't know what was down the road, right? So um, we didn't get a chance to sort of just take it all in. But when you look back, what were the highlights? Actually, one of the games that sticks out to me the most from those days was it was a Kaya global game that I wasn't involved in. I was, I wasn't in the squad and I was in the stands. This was while I was injured. And I remember the atmosphere of that game was, was awesome. I think we, I think we did this a couple of times in those seasons. I think we went down two nil and we ended up coming back and winning three, two, but global had a lot of fans there. We had a lot of fans there. I, I know we had fans who had really big flags and, Along the touchline, we had a couple guys running back and forth along the line with a big old flag. I remember our fans getting into it with global fans, especially once we started coming back. And I remember just sitting in the stands and like watching the game and, and seeing all the fans. I'm like, this is awesome. 
<laughs> I said, this is it. This, this is, this is it. Like, this is where I want to be. I was watching the game where we're making our comeback. Our fans are getting into it with the other fans. Like this, this is a proper game I'm watching. <laughs> so that, that's always one game that's stuck in my mind literally this day. And I just, I, I just remember other games where just walking out on the pitch and just knowing there are fans there watching. That, that's what always stood out to me was, it just always stood out to me as really cool because it's something I never really experienced growing up and stepping into that just having people there supporting and, and everything was just really, really cool for me. Uh, it's awesome that you were actually a fan for this particular highlight. You know what I mean? Like you weren't yeah. even on the pitch <laughs> for that, yeah. you know? I recall uh, Phil Hagedorn, who is one of the owners of Kaya, he jumped up and, and started singing with the Ultras Kaya in the stands. <laughs> he was jumping up and down and I was thinking, wow, yeah, you know, these, these moments, um, they don't come around too often. It turns out, you know, you think it's going to be a staple, but man, those, those were some great, great days over there. Yeah, and, they were. Um, hmm. So after that, you found your way into the national team, correct? Shortly after that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I, second season, I had a good, good run of games. And that was right when Thomas Dooley had been appointed uh, head coach. And I know he, he had a camp. Well, it was a couple months down the line, and I, I know we invited like a broad pool of players. Because I remember we all had a meeting at the F1 hotel. There was quite a broad pool of players. There's players from Pachanga. There's players from from Kyle. There's, there's players from basically most teams. I had a good run of games. I know I scored a few goals, and so I got that call up. And as soon as I went to the training, I said to myself, "Well, you just got called up to this national team like training pool." I was like, that should give myself a, like a bit of confidence. That means, oh, I'm doing something right and I, I can be one of the better players here. So I went to those training sessions just trying. I just literally tried as best as I possibly could to play well. I didn't really, I, I mean, I don't, you know, as a player, I don't really dribble too much. That's not really my thing. I'm not trying to go out there and be flashy and dribble. But I remember we were doing one-on-one uh, drills and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do some step overs against these defenders and I'm going to make sure I score. I was doing everything I possibly could to impress I, because I just found it amazing that I got called up for a national team camp. And then from there, yeah, the rest is history. I got called up to every camp until 2017 from there. How old were you when you started? 19, 20 and the national team? 19, 19. Wow. 2014. Can you remember much about your debut? Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, I just wanted. Can you remember much about your debut? Yeah. Yeah, I remember pretty much everything. That was the game against Malaysia, where the game had to get halted because of all the uh, flares in the stands. <laughs> there you go. That's my first experience of the National League when we have a game and the game literally has to get stopped because the fans are going crazy with flares and there's a protest about something else like. Remember that? I remember coming on as a sub. I remember I probably should have scored instead of passing, but I remember we, uh, I remember we drew nil nil, and the, the biggest thing that stuck out stood out in my head was I, I tackled a player who was probably earning like thirty thousand dollars a month, something along those lines. That's that's what the rumor was, and I was like, oh, I'm just a little kid that just came on the pitch. And I tackled this guy. It made me feel good, but then we went down the other side of the pitch and I uh, tried crossing it instead of 
probably should have been more selfish and tried to score. I remember you talking to me about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how was it? Like, is it, it from the outside looking in, you, you seemed, you didn't seem too nervous, you didn't seem too phased, or maybe, maybe that was your youthful exuberance, but inside, how, how were you feeling when you, when you made that debut? It's a cool experience, but I mean, I think you can agree with this. Once you step onto the pitch, you're kind of just focused on the game. It's something we've been doing our whole lives. So, so even now, even if there's 100 fans, 20 fans, or 30,000 fans, you kind of you just zone them out while you're playing. And, and that, that's how I felt that game. Uh, once I stepped into the game, I don't know, the fans... Fire alarm going off. Oh, wow. <laughs> Our fire alarms in this building are really sensitive and they go off even when people are cooking. I've set them off once just by cooking. It's smoky in here, so yeah, sorry about the noise. <laughs> is, it, is it too loud? Oh, there you go. It stopped. I might be going to stop soon. I'd be pretty off-putting for most of the listeners. <laughs> no, that was going to be droning on in the background. <laughs> because it's so common, it stops really quickly okay no, sorry my, go ahead where were you yeah. your debut yeah like i was saying um yeah no i, I kind of zoned out the fans and once i got into the pitch it's like any other game to me the only thing i did notice was it was my first international game and the intensity of that game was unlike any game i've ever played i remember you always think oh a substitute comes on they're fresh like they shouldn't be getting tired i remember five, 10 minutes straight after coming on, I was already feeling myself breathing heavy. One, because I hadn't gotten my second wind yet, but two, the game was so back and forth as soon as I came on. I, I remember I was playing left wing and I made a sprint up the pitch. We lost it, I had a sprint all the way back. We won it and we counterattacked and I had a sprint all the way back. And I was already like, I've just been on for about two minutes. I've made three full pitch sprints. I'm like, wow, this game is, this game is flying. And I just, I remember just, being uh, really surprised by the intensity of, of, of the game. Man, Malaysia is not an easy place to go to as well, huh? Like, <laughs> those are some really, really passionate fans. Uh, I would say Indonesia and then maybe Malaysia after that. And then Thailand and Vietnam would be like the next two. Uh, but man, that's, that's a great place to make a debut. I mean, it was pretty raucous as well, Gene, because they, they were making a protest against the Federation. Um, so, yeah, so like, I think it was already pre-planned before the game that after, I think, I can't remember how many minutes it was, it was about 25 minutes or something that the Malaysian fans would let off some flares, erect a banner, and then it would be made known that they weren't happy with the Federation. So we all knew, I think, well, I, I knew anyway, I knew it was going to happen at some point. I wasn't sure at the time. Uh, and then when it kicked off, I was like, wow, okay. It's actually kind of surreal, but quite a cool thing to witness and be a part of, if that makes sense. It's kind of a weird dichotomy. But um, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was certainly a, a, a unique introduction for Kenny um, for, for, for a debut. Uh, that's, that's for sure, Jing. So you come back to the Philippines, presumably with a lot more confidence. I mean, you've had your, your, your national team debut. How did that affect you? as you continued on with your club career? Well, I got dropped the next game. So oh, that's that right. So that wasn't a good feeling. 
<laughs> no, but after that, I, I remember having a talk with my dad and he said, look, you've just been called up and you just played for the national team. It shows you're doing something right and it shows you are one of the better players in the league, maybe in the country. He said, from here, you just need to go show it. You need to play. Just just be confident. Just play how you know you can play and, and, and keep working hard. That, that, that was my dad's advice to me. And that's what I went for going forward. It did hit me with a bit of confidence. Like, wow, I, I did. I just got called up to the national team based off what I was doing. And it means I was playing well. So I said, I just need to keep this going. And I just need to keep playing better and better. And and then that's when I got more opportunities in the, in the Kaya team. And, and I think I started playing better uh, from there on out. I, I think that's where my, like, my rise started. Definitely mentally. Right. Definitely mentally. That's quite interesting. When you when I look at your career, sort of in a bird's eye perspective, right? Um, at that time, when you had broken into the national team and starting to become a more frequent inclusion, um, playing in an unfamiliar position, sure, but you were becoming more of a staple. Uh, I was thinking like, okay, so Kenny's going to be a part of the national team for like, I don't know, the next decade, the next two decades, he's going to be here. Um, but it didn't necessarily pan out that way for you. So what was that like for you? being a part of the national team as a staple and then all of a sudden not being part of the national team and f- trying to find your way back into it. What, what has this journey been like for you? Uh, the journey was a bit, it was a bit weird. Um, I ended up getting knee surgery end of 2017. So I had been called up to every national team camp until then I played all of the, or was a part of all of the, um, Asia Cup qualifiers until I think it was like the last one or the last two. That's when I had my knee surgery. And obviously we, we, we qualified, but I, I was extremely happy for the team. But then I got a little bit bummed because I wasn't involved right at the end where I've been involved throughout the whole thing. And then we ended up getting a new coach in that time and I couldn't play to impress that new coach. I couldn't get in. I wasn't involved in any of the games or anything. So it definitely, definitely bummed me out big time, especially once Asia cup rolled around and I wasn't involved. I was really bummed out that I, I went through the whole process with the team. And then once the cup came around, I wasn't even on the peripherals for that. Uh, so working on that, like working on from there, it wasn't necessarily me fighting to get back onto the national team the past couple of years. It's been me fighting to get back playing club football consistently again, just getting my, getting my rhythm back, getting my form back, playing club football and, and playing the best I can play. And then if the national team call up comes up, the national team call up comes up. Like that's, that's, that's how I look at it. It's never been my, it was never my direct goal of, Oh, I need to get back into the national team. Because I had other things going on in my life and my life and I wanted to just focus on my football and my club football because if I focus on my club football and playing well, then then the call up will come naturally if I if I'm playing well enough. Hope hopefully. So that was never my like my main focus, but uh, as it as it's turned out, I, I think I've gone about it the right way because I have I think I've improved a lot in the last two seasons 
and and it has worked out where I did get a call from the national team manager after this last season. So, uh, yeah, that, that's just a big part of it was just me, you know, just trying to focus on myself and get myself to playing the best football I can be playing again. Right. There was a, there was a rough moment there with you and um, you were out for how long with that, with a, with a knee problem? How long were you out for? The knee problem, it almost took, so when I first went in to get checked up, they're like, oh yeah, you'll be out two to three months. And then during the recovery of it, I had some complications with the healing in my knee, which pushed it back even further. So it was almost six months after the surgery where I finally was able to play my first game again. This was so in 2018? Yeah, I had the surgery, I think it was like November of 2017. And I don't think I played my first game until May 2018. Yeah. Was that my last, my last, my last game, my last season, right? My last your, la season. your last season. Yeah. 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 We played against Stallions at UMAC. I came on for the last 10, uh, 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that knee injury kept me out way longer than I thought it would have because of the, the healing complications in my knee. My, I have a problem. I overheal if, that, if that's a thing. So I built up way too much scar tissue in my knee to the point where I couldn't straighten my leg all the way. I like one of our exercises was doing leg raises where I have to straighten my leg and just keep raising it. And it got to a point where one day our physio was like, uh, Kinshira, you need to straighten your leg before you go up. I said, this is as straight as I could get it. And my, my knee would be at like this angle. I couldn't go any further. And so we had to deal with those complications while healing. It was, it, yeah, it just got pushed back way longer than it needed to be or what was supposed to be. Yeah, I remember that being a really frustrating time for you because obviously there was, you know, looking back on that period, you know, I, I deployed you in a number of different positions. You, you were sort of floating. Like you said, I mean, like you, you, you went from being a national team player to someone kind of flitting in and out of the team. I mean, one of the reasons why we, we probably played you at right back uh, in, in, in certain instances was because you were too good to not have in the 11. Do you know what I mean? So it, it's like, right, well, if I can't get you in our front three, especially when we played at somewhere like a UMAC, you know, yeah. we, we had a front three at, at one point. It was like Jovin, Jordan, Mendy or, or, or Connor Tagagni, for example. Like, I mean, it's, it's not the most technically um, proficient group, but if you're playing on UMAC, you, you need some guys who are going to, you know, bang some heads. You know, they're going to need some guys who are going to be willing to put their body on the line to, yeah. to hold the ball up in tight situations, which is not your, that's not your forte. But the way I always looked at it with you was, if I can get Kenny on the pitch, he can deliver a great cross. He can put in a great ball. He can take a, you know, an excellent free kick or a corner and, and win us the game that way. And actually, if you look back, like I remember, for example, the Loyola game, where we had a really set game plan. And that was one that really sticks in my mind, where I played you right back specifically because I wanted you to receive the ball in a certain part of the pitch and deliver the ball into the box with, with some quality. Because, you know, no disrespect to some of the guys that we had in our team at that time, but we had people like, you know, Shermar Falonko, who's got great pace, great athleticism, but delivery of crosses was not his forte. Um, Genwick Seriano was probably the only other one who could put in a decent ball, but he's another one who also had his, his injury woes. So, you know, I always felt that we had to try and get you on the pitch. And 
it's probably taken a little bit of time, but someone like a Trent Alexander-Arnold would have been a really good example of the type of right-back I had envisaged in my mind um, when, I, when I would put you in that position. If he hadn't really come to the fore at that point, but that type of right-back. Um, and I think if you actually look back over that period that you had, you know, there, there were games where your free kick-taking, your corners, your crossing ability really made the difference. I mean, you only have to look back to the Davao Aguilas goal, and that's probably one of the standout goals, you know, free kick goals I can think of in the in domestic game. Do you, do you remember that one, Jing? He scored it from a, the, pretty I, much the parking lot. Yeah, I would say ever. Like I, I, and and the, the worst thing about it is I'd looked away. I'd looked away to tweet something or something <laughs> like that, and the ball had ended up in the back of the net. And I was like, from there? No way he hit that from there. Yeah. I thought he was going to deliver into the box. So I was like, you know, I'm tweeting away. And I had to watch it on replay. Wow, what a, what a hit that was. Yeah, so like that, that, was, that was kind of my, my rationale. But I also knew that you were really struggling with the injuries. And I think also it, 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 it did affect you. It did affect like your morale, didn't it? And I know that it, it yeah. came to a head, really. And obviously you didn't complete that season because it was, you, you, had, you, had, you had other things that you wanted to pursue and you felt that that was, the right, that was the right time. I mean, do you regret not sort of seeing that season out and being part of the, um, the cup-winning side? in retrospect or do you think you, you made that decision with uh, with a clear conscience and, and you, you it, it was it was time for you to try to explore different avenues um i do looking back at it i i don't think i ever actually regretted leaving when i did because i went on to have experiences in those next six months that i think changed the way I played for the better, which I don't think would have happened if I stayed. I would have stayed playing the exact same way I did. But because I had um, a little bit of time in Spain, a little bit of time in England in those six months, and I experienced just the difference in culture, the difference in the way teams train, the difference in the way the players play, the intensity and everything, that really opened my eyes to something I, I had never really experienced before. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily regret leaving when I did. Would I maybe have been in the national team picture uh, a bit more if I had stayed maybe, and maybe things would have been different that way. But I, I per personally, I think I came back a better player because of the experiences I did have in that time I was gone. Uh, yeah. I think so, I joined, I, I joined training with you guys and, and I had a talk with you about it and, and just, I think you, like you noticed, I know some of the other coaches noticed just like how much more intense I was playing. I was actually putting in tackles. I was actually running people down, uh, just stuff like that. And I don't think I would have changed into that if I hadn't have left and experienced playing in Europe for a little bit. Yeah. I think, I so, think so that really you, helped me grow. Yeah, yeah, so for those those people who don't know the full story, basically you left mid-season and, and you, you went on a you embarked on a journey of of, of trying to trying to crack the European market as, as so many of us <laughs> try to do. Um, and obviously you went via Spain and you had a little stint in um, in the UK as well. But 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 talk to us a little bit about your your first stint in Spain. What was how how did that initially come about? And and what were some of the things that you noticed about playing in in Spain? Uh, I remember being at home in California, 
just uh, kind of working with my agent. We were just looking for uh, stuff to happen. And it was actually Paul Polentino that sends me a message out of the blue and says he ran into the owner of a team in Spain. And they're actually looking at players to trial and, and, and train and stuff. And this had been, apparently this team had come to the Philippines years before mm-hmm. yeah. and, and had a friendly here or whatever that was. It was Rufo's old team. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, um, I, talked to, I talked to the owner a little bit about you and, and he's interested in having you come over. He said, would you want to do it? I said, yes. Like, yes, I would. Like immediately I said, yes. And he said, okay, um, can you get to Spain this weekend? I went, yes, I'm free. Uh, yeah, 100%. I'll book a ticket right now. So we got that organized and I went over there. And it was lucky for me because going into teams where you don't know anyone is it's, it's a little bit more difficult. But it just happened that Rufo was back with that team. So I had somebody oh, really? that I actually, that I, yeah, I, I had somebody that I actually knew and, and, and could talk to because I think 90% of that team did not speak English. <laughs> I think there were two players and one of the coaching staff that could speak English. And Rufo happened to be one of them. So he actually, they, the club didn't even pick me up from the airport. They had Rufo come pick me up from the airport, which was, which was nice of him. And, and we got along really well that week. But uh, it, the, the training sessions, they were intense. They're very, very like technical, all of them, which you would expect. I remember because we were playing on an artificial turf pitch, we were doing a one-touch passing drill, and I had a couple passes that weren't even coming off the floor like big time. They would just bobble before they got to the other guys, and they would let me have it. They would yell at me if it was bobbling. And I'm, I mean, I'm the type of person that doesn't that doesn't phase me or whatever. I, I want you to yell at me if I'm making a mistake. I think that's a good thing. So I, I loved it, but then. We play, I played a couple friendlies with them. And then we played against, I think it was Leganes, um, their B team, the one in the Segunda B. And I, I found the intensity of those games incredible. And this is coming from after playing national team games and everything. And I found the intensity of those friendlies. I thought going to Spain, it would be more technical and and the game would just be faster, like with the ball and everything. No, they they they're in there they they fight there was a lot of fight in those games and they were just friendlies and that made me buck up my intensity and i had to become more physical and i remember just loving the whole the whole time in spain I ended up not working out i think they signed a uh like an 18 year old player that came from swansea's academy after i left but but it was an amazing experience nonetheless and and it, it helped me learn and helped me become more physical in just that one week because I had to adjust, which I, I, I loved it because it helped me evolve. After that, you went to the UK? How soon after? I had actually just planned, I was like, oh, I'm in Spain. I planned on visiting a friend for three or four days in London before flying back home. And my agent ended up getting me hooked up with training up in Fleetwood Town when... I was in England, so I ended up going from a three or four day trip to England to, I ended up staying for about a month. I trained at Fleetwood, I think it was a week or two. I ended up training with another team's uh, under 23s, but that time at Fleetwood was another experience that was just awesome to me. I, I never got to train with the first team, obviously, 
Joey Barton's their manager, which was cool. I would run into Joey Barton in the clubhouse in the hallways. Uh, he was he was really nice. But I trained with their uh, under twenty threes and under eighteens because they kind of just mixed those teams. And I remember having a conversation to Chris about this. Was I just remember sixteen, seventeen year olds demanding the absolute most from each other during training. It was like in Spain, if, if, if you, you're doing a passing drill and the passes aren't hard enough or to the correct foot or if they're coming off the floor, I, I loved it. I was hearing these young kids absolutely letting each other have it if the quality wasn't good enough. When if there's one qualm I have about here sometimes is if training isn't good enough or the quality just isn't there, I feel like people kind of just coast and it doesn't bother them. Uh, it's not very often you get somebody that comes up and demands the absolute best quality from training. And so when I'm there in England and I'm hearing 16, 17 year olds just letting each other have it, if, if, if one pass isn't to their correct foot, I'm like, yeah, this, like, this, this is how it should be. This is, this is great. I'm loving this. And it, and it really makes you step up your standard because you don't want to be the guy that ruins the passing drill by making one straight pass or just passing it to an incorrect foot. How soon after that were you back in the Philippines? I mean, obviously that, that whole situation uh, happened and um, it didn't transpire or it didn't lead to a professional contract. What, what happened after that? Did you fly straight back to the Philippines? Did you go back to California first to take some time off? I, uh, while I was in England, I got a call from, from the national team and they asked if I wanted to play in that tournament that was held in uh, Bangladesh. I don't want to say the name because I'm going to butcher it like I do every time. But yeah, that tournament that was in the Bangladesh with the national team and I, I didn't have anything else going on. I, my time in England was coming to an end. So I'm like, sure. So I sh flew straight from England back to the Philippines. Chris was nice enough to let me train with Kaya for the week leading up to it. I came a little bit early because I wanted to get acclimatized to the weather again. And then, yeah, and then I played that tournament in Bangladesh, and that's where I scored my first national team goal in right. front of the Bangladesh fans. That was fun. <laughs> I've, never, I've never silenced the stadium before, before that game. That was incredible. <laughs> that, that, was, that was weird. That was really weird. <laughs> How but, was that experience, Ken? Because like, obviously I was in the Middle East with the... Uh, I've got, I've got a, how am I going to phrase this? The full national team, because obviously yeah. there was like a, a split between kind of the peripheral players, players who were looking to maybe forge their way into the Suzuki Cup slash Asian Cup squad. And then, you know, some of the European-based players, some of the more established players were over with us, with the main squad in, um, in the Middle East. But it, it, from the outside looking at it looked like a really good tournament. They had great crowds, uh, a lot of uh, really young, enthusiastic, pa passionate players wanting to, you know, make a name for themselves in that competition. And while it, it seemingly looked like it was a bit of an afterthought, it actually turned out to be a really good tournament for, uh, you know, probably a handful of players who, who, who did manage to use that as a platform and a springboard to, um, to, to produce good performances. And, and then kick on with, with their careers. So how was it for you being a part of that squad for that particular tournament? I know uh, Marwin and Joven will agree with me. It was actually ended up being one of the most fun national team experiences we've had. We've talked about this. I, I remember Amani was there. 
we we all it was such a tight knit group because we all knew we were like fringe players or not fully mm-hmm. involved in the national team whatever there were no egos in the team there was no it was everyone was there because they wanted to be there they wanted to play for the country and they wanted to play international games and uh i mean the hotel situation wasn't the best we've ever had the food wasn't the best we've ever had the uh, the training pitches were not great but I still say to this day, it was one of the most fun national team camps that we've ever had just because of the camaraderie of the group. The games were really fun because of where we were playing, that stadium. I think it was getting up to like 20, 25,000 fans inside the stadium whenever Bangladesh played. And, and we were lucky enough to play against them. And that's where we won 1-0. And I, and I, I scored, the whole stadium went quiet. Like, it just the experiences of that tournament were really fun. And, and I, I got, I like made friendships with players I'd never formally talked to, uh, part of the other PFL teams. And no, just the overall experience was really, really fun. Uh, and I, I think we could have done a little bit better, but we, we ran into a Tajikistan team who obviously gave our full national team side a problem, like problems. They're, they're a good team. And I think we only lost two one and I, I don't know if it was two one or two nil. I don't know. I had a chance to score that went just wide. Like we, on paper, you look at our team and don't think, oh, they were gonna achieve too much or they won't be the best squad. But no, we all just enjoyed playing with each other and had a great time there. And and I, I think we performed fairly well for the the situation. Cause I, it was the day of the first game. There was problems with flights. Our coach Anto and a few of the players didn't even arrive until game day. The whole, the whole like situation was a mess, but it didn't phase anyone on the team. We all just literally went out there and just had a really good time together, and and it showed in the football. Like we, it showed we all had fun playing together. It is, I I have fond memories of that tournament. I just think it was a great time for all of us. This was in 2018, back end of 2018? Yes. Right. Literally end of the October, I think, end of the year. Right, because 2019 was Asian Cup already, right? Yes, January. Right, and then you didn't come back to Kaya until mid-2019. Yeah, um, I really didn't have it in my plans to come back. It's not something I really wanted to do. But the next six months, things just kept not working out. And I, I was just in a situation. I was like, look, it's, it's been a year now. I need to be playing. That's the most important thing. And I was hoping to maybe uh, find a move to Thailand somehow. But that's never really going to happen if you haven't played in a year. So I, I told myself, okay, I'm going to go back to Manila. And we'll see what happens from there. I originally just came back just to train because I did get a couple bites in Thailand. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to Manila, get some training in and be fit just in case uh, I do have to go to Thailand. Ended up not happening. And Paul just said, look, uh, we don't have the biggest budget right now or anything, but if you want to play the rest of the season, I can accommodate you. And I just, I said, yeah, I have, like, I need to, I need to be playing. And I appreciated the offer and said, Yes, pretty much immediately because I just knew I needed to be playing and I and I wanted to be playing. I hadn't played consistently for almost a year at that point, so 
I was really missing the game and I really missed playing. I missed training every day and yeah, I just went straight for it. I said, yeah, let's do it. I'll play. I'll finish out the remainder of the season. For the Kaya fans who are listening to this, it might've been difficult to hear you say that you didn't want to come back, but just to add a little bit of context to that 2018, 2019, there was a lot of uncertainty about the local game, about if it was going to push through, how many teams were going to be there. I mean, there were so many question marks around that. So there's like, it's, it's, natural for people to be looking for opportunities in more established places and bigger contracts and, you know, to uplift their career. So um, it was nice that, you know, you were able to come back, although the cup run didn't pan out the way we had wanted at that time, 2019. Uh, but you stayed on for 2020. Um, obviously, 2020 has been a roller coaster. So we're making our way back to this year. Uh, was it always the, the plan to stay in 2020 uh, with Kaya? Uh, it, well, it wasn't exactly the plan. I didn't know for sure if I wanted to or not. Uh, I did actually have a, a little bit of a trial, such as training in Thailand for two weeks over like the Christmas period. But I did want to play AFC. That was one thing that really interested me again. I loved our 2016 campaign in AFC. It's one of the most fun times I've had in my career so far. And as soon as we qualified for AFC, that changed things in my head a little bit. And I said, well, I really want to play AFC next year. So that was a really big deciding factor in me staying. Uh, we were unfortunate that it got canceled. Mm. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was a, a major factor in me deciding to stay for this season because because of the AFC thing. You weren't yet playing at a, in an attacking role during that time. Were you still being utilized as a more defensive player? Or, I mean, certainly not on top yet during the AFC run. Well, when I came back last year, Coach Noel, I don't think he played me right back one time. I was playing mostly in the 10 or left wing end of last season. And then a really, really good run of form to finish out the season. So coming into this season, I knew that's where I wanted to play. Um, but yeah, the first AFC game comes along and Hoshi's like, look, I think I'm going to have to play you right back this first game. <laughs> I went, oh, here we go again. All right, throw me in, let's do it. <laughs> but again, I had like a little niggling injury and I couldn't, I couldn't start the game. I, I wasn't training consecutively during the preseason and so I only played the first half I mean sorry the second half of the first game at right back so my one AFC appearance this year was at right back and then I I, I wasn't able to play the next two games that's right you missed out on the what was it the Tampanese game and then the trip to PSM all because yeah. of injury and then you came back obviously there was a seven month gap before the next match at that point and then you came out and you were reintroduced to the public as a striker. Um, how did you keep yourself? How, how, what was the mindset going into this campaign? Obviously, you know, uh, so much involved in just getting the league off the ground. But for the player's perspective, not having to deal with, you know, logistics and figuring out how to work inside the bubble. What was it for you guys going into this season? Uh, look, I mean, I always think of it as you have to be professional. This is our job. We have to be professional. doesn't matter if we play every weekend this year or we have a seven-month gap. 
doesn't matter. We need to keep ourselves ourselves fit. We need to be ready to play whenever we're called upon. And so going into the season, it was, I, I know for a lot of us, like any other, any other game. All right, we finally have a game next weekend. We need to focus on that game and do everything we can to be ready for it. And that's how it felt. Obviously, we were incredibly happy that we were able to get back on the pitch and play. So that was definitely a different feeling. We were incredibly happy to be back out there. But it's all about being professional. And uh, once we're back on the pitch, we have a job to do. And that's what we went out to do. It seems like you're a different, a lot different from, you know, from the scrawny kid from 17 years, years of age coming over to the Philippines and, and playing and, and finding your way through right back. And now you're 25, eight-year veteran in the game. Um, playing up top, there's, there's, it seemed like you're a lot more confident, a lot more assured of yourself. Is that, is, that, is that a fair reflection of how you're feeling at the moment or how you're feeling about your, your game at the moment? Yeah, I'm definitely more confident in myself now than I was even a couple of years ago. I'm I'm more confident in my abilities. Uh, like I've like you've said, I've bulked up. I'm not afraid of having defenders, you know, on my back. I'm not afraid of tackles. I'm just generally all around more confident in myself and my abilities. And I know, I know, on my day, I can be one of the best players in this league. If I'm playing well, I just think that about myself. And I think that's just the most important thing is I, was, I don't think I was ever the most self-confident kid growing up. But over the last couple of years and the things I've gone through have changed my mentality about it. And I know now every time I step onto the pitch, I'm just fully confident in what I can do. And I, I, I always tell myself I need to go prove it to other people and I need to go prove it and I need to go score goals or I need to get assists or I need to play well. And that, that's how I went into the season. I went into the season fully expecting myself just to perform well and, and try to be one of the better players in the league, if possible. That's how I went into every game. Chris, what was it like for you watching Ken Shiro from your home, um, knowing the whole backstory of Kenny and being around him since the very beginning uh, and going out and seeing him perform the way he did this season? Yeah, I think we, we, we spoke about it, didn't we, on the podcast. I think we did a, uh, I think a mid-season review. Mm. And we, we mentioned that, that Kenny had played particularly well in those opening exchanges. Um, it was great to see Kenny perform uh, in a function more in keeping with how he probably sees himself as a player. Because I think for a lot of times he's been plugged in and been a good soldier. You know, and, and being someone who the coach can rely on and, and depend on to fulfil a duty within the team function. But I think it's also nice when a player gets to perform, you know, kind of within the confines of how they think they should be as a player, you know, and not pander to the wants and the desires of the coach, even if it was me asking you to do some of these things. Um, and I think it, was, it, it showed in his performances. I mean, I, I look at the goal that he scored in the ADT game. And one of the things that we talked about there was there's very few players, in my opinion, in the league who's capable of scoring goals in that manner. Um, you know, people forget he carried the ball a long way with that goal. I mean, near enough. I mean, you, you, you're pretty much running flat out from the halfway line, aren't you? After you, 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 yeah. you drag the defender out of position. It's a great ball from Bordy. And then you're, you're, you're running full speed. 
So normally the tendency is if you're running at that pace, is you're going to try and probably try and smack it in, you, you use that momentum. But you see a lot of people as they embark on the goal, as you're bearing down on the goalkeeper, they lose their call, they lose their composure. How many times have you seen it? Go try to go around the goalkeeper, they take a heavy touch, or they run it into the goalkeeper. And I see it a lot at this level. I see it a lot at this level. But for you to have the, the self-awareness, the composure, to sort of lower the heart, heart rate, you know, ice cool finish, open your body out and slot it, that's a, that's a quality finish. And, and you know, we, we picked up on it. I think Shrocky mentioned it as well when he, did his, um, when he did his podcast a couple of weeks ago. And there's very few people who are capable of that kind of finish. I mean, you know, whenever we do finishing practices, Kenny would always be the second best finisher at, at the club. You know, I mean, I would obviously be the best and then he would be close behind me. But he's always been a clean finisher and different types of finishes. This, this is, you know, if, 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 if for anyone who plays golf, you know, he's got loads of different clubs. He can finish different ways. He can hit it with power. He can hit it with curl. Um, he can find the bottom corner. He can open his hips up. He can, he can have a one-touch finish. He's heading... Is something that he could potentially improve on. Although it's something that he actually got better during the course of his career. And we sort of laughed about it, didn't we? About your ability to head. You know, when you, when you, win a, when you would win a header in training or in a game, he would be first to tell me, oh, look, I want a header today. Well, well done. You know, uh, you're practically a giant for, for Southeast Asian football. So you should be winning your fair share of headers. But I think there's very few people with that skill set. And I think that's something that, that Scott noticed as well. You know, he's, he's got different attributes now, whereas before, I think he was more... And this is one of the reasons why I like to play him at right back, was I think he's good with the game in front of him in terms of, like, you can get it in a position, you can step into that space and, and deliver crosses. But I think it also showed that his, his, his movement and his ability to find space both in front of a back four and in between the lines, as well as penetrating in behind, because he's got good pace, he's got good athleticism, and he's got clever movement. As long as he's got players around him who can find him in, in those spaces, whether it be finding feet or penetrating in behind, you know, then he's going to be a dangerous, uh, a dangerous attacking option for anyone he plays against. So um, it, was, it was great for me to see, because I've, I've watched his development as a, as a teammate, as a as a player uh, with the national team and then also as a coach. And I know he's been through the, the, the mill with a lot of the things and trials and tribulations that he's been, been through on and off the pitch. So for, for him to showcase his ability in, uh, in, in the most recent PFL um, campaign was, was, was great to see. And uh, I think it, you went off the radar for a while, Kenny, didn't you? While you were, you were doing a lot of these things. Although, although I was familiar with what was going on, it, it wasn't something that, that came with a lot of fanfare. So a lot of people were probably wondering, you know, how you would come back. So the fact that you came in and, and relayed down the marker as one of the top attacking players in the league, I think that was that was great for me to see. And, and I think it's something that we highlighted, wasn't it, on, on the show? Um, because I, I think it was something that did reverberate throughout the, the, the Philippine football community. And, and they were really pleased. With, uh, with seeing, I don't want to say the old Kenny, more more the new Kenny, um, or Kenny 2.4, 2.5. Uh, so that that was nice. That was nice to see. But I guess for me now, we, obviously we see you get to that level again, which is which is great. What 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 does the future hold for for Kenny? What what's what's the plan now? What's on the horizon? Um, plan is play at. High of a, as high of a level as I possibly can, uh, whether that be uh, here abroad. Obviously, I, I've made this pretty public. A lot of people know this. I always, 
I, I my goals are to get to Thailand. I want to play in that league. It's I know it's professional. The quality is a lot higher there. Uh, so right now I'm just waiting to see if any opportunities arise, uh, whether it be there, Malaysia, anywhere really. Just I just want to keep improving on myself and and getting to as high of a level as I can and hopefully get back into the national team. I think that's more on my radar now than it, than it was the past couple of years because I know the national team is a, is a great level and, and it's, it's good at opening other doors as well. So yeah, that, that's my goal just to keep, keep improving and, 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 and keep moving up if I can. When we had Scott over here, he mentioned that you guys had a conversation. What was spoken about between the two of you? Uh, he, he said a lot of the same, especially teams that are in the national team mix. He wants them playing at a higher level. That's why you look at a lot of national team players now. A lot of them are in Thailand, and he he wanted to give me some help in getting over there, which I massively appreciate. So we've uh, been working on that. And he invited me to the next uh, training camp, whenever that may be, <laughs> somewhere along the line next year. I don't know with COVID, but. He said, yeah, he'd love to have me part of the next national team training camp just to uh, get familiar with him and, and, and maybe with the team. And I don't know. We'll just see what, we'll see what happens from there. That's awesome to hear. So, you know, uh, it's all looking up. A fantastic return. We're all caught up on the world of, of Kenshiro Daniels. We appreciate you taking the time and joining us here, man. I appreciate the invite. I watch, I watch a lot of these episodes, if not all of them, so... I love, I love what you guys are doing. Oh, we appreciate that, man. Chris, anything you'd like to add? No, no. Uh, it's great to have him on. Uh, obviously, you know, it's, it has been difficult at times. And I think for anyone who's listening to, uh, to this episode, and it kind of is in keeping with a lot of the themes that we've had with the guests on the show, is I think you've really got to be resilient and, and be willing to to roll with the punches if you intend to have a career in, in, in this game. I mean, you know, I, I'm looking at kids in my under 15s and I'm thinking like, you know, would you have the, the balls to go out and, and say, look, I, I, I'm willing to go out there and I'm willing to go and train in a new country and, and be away from mum and dad and um, try to fend for myself to an extent and uh, mix it up with, with fully grown men, you know, at such a young age, if that's what you think is going to be the best for your footballing development. You know, I don't know. Maybe they would be if the opportunity were to arise. But, um, you know, that was something that you were willing to do. And it's a theme that has continued because you've, you came out here at a young age. Like you said, you were 17, 18 years old. And, and, and you know, I know you weren't on great money. You didn't have a great contract. But, you, you know, you, you saw it as an opportunity to forge a career. And, you know, you, you, you went after your passion. And, and then even then, you've, you've been at trials. You've gone and, like you said, that's a daunting task in itself to go into a changing room with people who don't speak the language or people who know why you're there you're there yeah. to go and take their spot you know that's that's not a nice it's not a nice experience no no one enjoys trialing i don't think if there is anyone out there let me know i'd love to have a chat with them but and you've gone through those situations and seemingly have, have come out of it whether you didn't get a contract or not with a with a positive mindset and, and a positive disposition which i think is is admirable because if you see those experiences, not as a knockback, but an opportunity to take something from those experiences, like you did in Spain, like you did in, in the UK, to see what it takes, the, the intensity that these guys are coming at, then, and apply them to your game, 
it's obviously enriched your your own personal development and then that, that's that's come to fruition this season in, in the PFL and and like we said before like you, you seemingly had a platform and then you've you've, you've seen it as a opportunity to, to have a trajectory in your career and then you found yourself okay I've, I've, I've got to have another crack at this and have another crack at this and you've had you've had a multitude of those types of ups and downs but I think that's that's part of everyone's journey and, and hopefully you can use this this really positive experience of the PFL 2020 season to um to hopefully embark on a new chapter um, we, we can continue that upward trajectory so uh, now we really really appreciate you coming on the show Kenny it's been a pleasure having you and uh, yeah I'm hoping the young guys that listen to this will, uh, will aspire to follow in your footsteps one day if you guys Thank enjoyed you, this conversation with Kenny sorry to cut you off there Kenny that was horrible no. of you <laughs> um, no no again much appreciated your time here with us and um, is there anything else that you wanted to say Kenny perhaps where people can find you if they want to stay updated on um, everything that's going on in the world of Kinshiro Daniels? Uh, No, I just want to say thank you again for having me on the show. Uh, I mean, if you want to find me on social media, I'm pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. But yeah, other than that, just no, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I love having combos with you guys. He's Kenshiro. Kenshiro on uh that's two r's kenshiro on instagram and on twitter if you're a fan of call of duty yeah you, you, you should you should check out kenny he's got some skills in fact that might be his second profession outside of football so there he is uh if you enjoyed this conversation with kenny please do subscribe on youtube spotify and on apple Podcasts. we appreciate all the love you guys have been showing our way uh it's it's amazing to see that we've ended up on the top five of people's um, listening habits this 2020. So we really do appreciate all the support. Find us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram as well. That's it for this episode of Football Friday. Thank you so much to Kenshiro Daniels. We'll catch you all next week.